here. Uh, one of our ministries that is a very successful part of High Point Church is what we do with um, um, live streaming with our services, both Wednesday night and Sunday. Uh, we are trying to upgrade, or we're in the process of upgrading, we're not trying, we are upgrading our video capabilities this past week. Um, we went, Danny, Rick, and Jacob and I went, and um, we purchased some cameras. And they were from somebody from a church Wednesday, or Tuesday night, I guess it was. And we got to meet some great people from a church down in Ruskin. Um, and just amazing time. We had a great time of fellowship. And we are in the process of upgrading this. Uh, there's some other things we need, and as we go along, we, I, I'm not one to stand up here and say, I need you to give money for this, this, or this, but I will tell you, we're going to have some expenses here coming up, so if you would like to give a little extra, that would be wonderful. Uh, to give you an idea of what we are going to do, we actually have three cameras. There will be one in the center here, there will be one on the left, one on the right, and they're all um, operated by remote and they will actually tilt up and down, left and right, and zoom in from a remote in the sound room so people can see from different different point of view, and that will be able to be controlled from the sound room. A much better quality. Um, right now, we're using the very basic of all basic ways of doing this, but it's working, and people are able to, to see the services, but we're trying to upgrade that, both the sound and the picture quality. So some exciting things coming up, um, and I am so grateful to have people who will just step up and say, I'll take this, and you don't have to do it. Um, so thank you, Danny. Thank you, Rick. Um, it, it was, we had a great time the other night. I think we got back here to the church at midnight. midnight. <laughs> <laughs> An absolute necessity. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We have people that watch the Sunday morning service, and I am so grateful for people that are very faithful. Um, a very dear friend has become a dear friend because of this, named Gail Duffer, and we actually got to meet she and her husband back a couple years ago. Um, but there's several others who watch the services on a regular basis. There are so many who are unable to get out, but they're able to watch. There are so many people who when they are sick and not able to be here due to sickness, they will tune in and watch the service in that way. And, and this is a ministry. This is not just so we can say, hey, you know, somebody's watching us on, online. No, this is a ministry of High Point Church. There are people who are able to be a part and physically, not physically be here, but to feel like they are here and feel the love and feel like they know folks at High Point Church because they're able to see it via online streaming. So thank you for everyone who's put so much effort into this and who's putting the effort. This all started with Penny back, um, this started with Penny back about a year or so ago and a cell phone. And we've come from there. That's what got, okay, there, there's a testimony right there. See, that's fantastic. I, I, you know, this is what God does when we are obedient and he says, step out, and you step out. And we have seen people who have come to High Point Church. Obviously, Patty's here. 
um, because of that. And how many others are able to, I, I see the same names over and over and over of people I know can't get out on their own, and they're able to see the service. And that's just, it's amazing. And I am so grateful for that and for all the hard work that goes into to doing that. So please pray for us as we, we step into this new, um, when I say us, I mean Danny. Uh, <laughs> no, I've offered to help anyway I can. I just am not very um, smart when it comes to that kind of stuff. But I have told him I'll help in any way we can. And as a church, we are going to get behind him and just support him. And whatever we need to do, we're going to do it. Because my dad always taught me, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing. Thank you. <laughs> Y'all must have known him. Uh, <laughs> if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. There are times when I, I stand here on Sunday morning and, um, and I say something along the lines of this. I had another sermon prepared for today, but a couple of days ago I felt that God spoke to me about going a different direction, so we'll set that one aside for another day. Anybody remember? Ever wonder where those sermons go? I will tell you that I file them away on my computer. Sometimes I come back to them, and sometimes I don't. And when you spend sometimes 15, 16, 20 hours putting together a sermon, it's hard to just set it aside sometimes, but you just do that. Because if it's not the right thing for the right time, it's not the right thing for the right time. But I will tell you that this past week, I felt that God spoke a word to me for us as a church. And I kept feeling this word, not an audible voice, but I kept feeling this word over and over, and the word was unity. I tried to go a couple other directions as I was preparing a sermon, but I just couldn't get away from the word unity. And then it was like God reminded me of one of those sermons that I had written and set aside, filed away, back in February of this year. Obviously, since I didn't preach it then, February of this year wasn't the time or the right time for the sermon. I don't know why. Maybe God felt like I wasn't ready to deliver it at that point. Or maybe he knew we as, we as a church were not ready to receive it. But whatever the reason, that was February. And this is September. So for a few minutes today, I want us to look at the subject of unity. And I... Back when I originally wrote this sermon and, and spent many hours, I probably spent close to that many hours this week on it again because I really felt like God was telling me, you want to get this right. So I will do my best to say what God has given me this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. As, prisoners, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. As it is with... Um, most of Paul's writings, although they were initially directed at a specific group of people in the first century, in this case a group of uh, believers in the city of Ephesus, the implication or the, the overall meaning is timeless, and it means the same for us today. 
Up to this point, if you had read through the book of Ephesians up through chapter 4, Paul had been writing pretty much about doctrine. He had been writing about Christian principles and various beliefs. But now here in chapter 4, he turns his attention more specifically to duty, practice, and behavior. It's great to know doctrine. It's great to know principles, and it's great to have and know the beliefs of Christianity. But without the means to implement them and to make them mean something in everyday life, those things don't produce anything more than head knowledge. As Christians, we need head knowledge. But we also need to know the practical side of that knowledge. We need to know how to live out what we know in a way that glorifies God as opposed to living it out in a way that horrifies God. Look a little bit more closely at the phrase at the end of verse 1. Paul wrote, Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. In the King James Version, it's translated as the vocation wherewith you are called. Both of these phrases refer, refer to a person's life work. Our calling to faith is a lifelong calling. The calling we received to God to come to Christ by faith was not a call for a weekend getaway. Lifetime calling. It was a call to live permanently, to live a radically changed life for the glory of God. It is a calling to live differently, not just on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday as well. God did not call us to faith. Jesus did not die on a cross so that we could be Sunday Christians. such thing as a part-time Christian. You are. You aren't. Paul says in verse 1 that we are to live our lives in a way that is worthy of what we have received or what we have been given in Christ. We are to live our lives in a way that proves we belong to the Lord. We are to live our lives in a way that glorifies Him in the world. The life we live, and just so we make sure we don't misunderstand this, the life we live is not a payback for salvation. It's not a, okay, I, I'm going to live my life for you because I guess I owe you for that salvation thing. No, that's not why we live our lives in that way. Instead, it's the idea of having such love and gratitude for what we have received through Christ that we do everything possible to live a life that is worthy of such a great gift. We say, Lord, I, I could never earn, I could never do anything, I could never have salvation if it weren't for what you did for me. And because of that, I will dedicate my life 100% to you. So we dedicate our lives to Christ because we want to, not because we feel like we have to. Here in chapter 4, Paul moves into this practical application of living a life that is worthy of the calling we have received. The first thing that Paul presents us with is the idea of unity. He mentions it in verse 3. He mentions it again in verse 13. The word unity, as it's used here, could probably best be defined as to be in agreement. It simply means that we are to walk together as one in the Lord. here and say that I truly believe that unity is one of God's primary goals for the church. Let me also say that I truly believe that tearing down the unity of the church is Satan's primary goal. He doesn't need to attack us from the outside if he can get us to destroy ourselves from the inside. Bickering, unresolved problems, un unresolved hard feelings, gossip, envy, pride, self-righteousness, 
All of these things and more will tear a church apart. I know it's true because I've seen it. And in the end, people's lives are destroyed, churches are often destroyed, and Satan wins, all because of a lack of unity. I bring this up for a, a good reason. I have been told by folks who have been in the ministry far longer than me, and I've seen it for myself, that when a church is growing spiritually, when a church is on fire for God, when a church, when the power of the Holy Spirit is evident in a church, when a church is reaching out to the community with the gospel, when people are coming to Christ and their lives are being changed, when those things are happening, the devil wants it stopped. And he'll work any way he can to get it stopped. If the devil can destroy the church from the inside, it serves a twofold purpose. The first and most obvious purpose is to destroy the lives of people in the church. See the church fall apart due to a lack of unity. But secondly, for those who were on the outside looking in, it often destroys any chance that they would ever come to Christ. After all, they... Why would they want to be a part of that mess? They can get plenty of that kind of stuff out in the world. In Paul's day, there were two main groups of separation in society. The one group was the Jews, and the other group was the Gentiles. The Gentiles were basically anybody that wasn't a Jew. And there was a tremendous separation. With that in mind, Paul made it clear that God's grace united Jews and Gentiles together in one body, and that was the church. Ephesians 2 12 through 15, again, keep in mind, this is Paul speaking to the Gentiles of his day. Here's what Paul said. <laughs> Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. And again, this is Paul saying, all you Gentiles, the Jews looked down on you. You were nothing. You didn't matter. You weren't a part of anything. All the covenants that God made with his people, they didn't apply to you. Going on. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the bearer, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. Unity. God's grace in salvation reconciles us or unites us. Regardless of our ethnicity, regardless of our socioeconomic standing, doesn't matter. And if we are united to God, how would we possibly think we would not be united to one another? Ephesians 2.19, Paul tells us that now we are saved. We are no longer foreigners. We are no longer aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. When we come to Christ, we are one. It doesn't matter all the other things that might separate us. We are one in Christ, and if we are in Christ, we have to be one, and we have to be united. We are one in salvation. We are one in purpose. We are one in calling to share the gospel. We are one in the family of God, and now that we are saved, we are united as one. Let's look quickly at some other verses that speak about unity. 
In Philippians 1.27, Paul wrote that we should stand firm in one spirit, striving together. Stand firm in one spirit, striving together. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, he wrote that there should be no divisions, but instead we should be perfectly united in word and thought. In Romans 12.16, we're urged to live in harmony. Don't be proud. Do not be conceited. Live in harmony. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul made it clear that we as Christians, we are to be united with Christ, being like-minded, be one in spirit and mind, value others above ourselves, and not to just look out at our interest, but the interest of others. Then in 2 Corinthians 13, 11, he said that we should encourage one another and be of one mind. It's obvious by reading these scriptures that God is very interested in unity. And if the Lord is interested in the unity of the church, then we should be interested in it as well. One thing is sure, if we followed those scriptures and lived out our lives in the ways that Paul prescribed, we wouldn't have to worry about a lack of unity in the church. Verse 3 of our text, we are called to keep or maintain our unity in the church. Let's look a little bit more closely at what Paul was saying in this verse. The fact is this. We are not always unified. We are not always on the same page. We are not always pulling together for the glory of God. Too often folks in any given church have their own agendas, agendas that compete against the good of the church. This can happen at any level, including but certainly not limited to the pastor. What Paul is writing here is a plea for unity, a plea for the church to be free of any personal agendas, anything to be free of anything that would override God's calling for us as the church. Here in verse 3, Paul said, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's several words in this short verse that merit our attention. When Paul said, make every effort, he was saying to allow nothing to hinder us from striving for the unity of church. Don't let anything get in the way of unity. The word keep implies to guard or to do everything we can to guard to keep the unity of the Spirit. And this is an interesting point. He does not say make every effort to create unity. We are not called to create or manufacture some shallow man-made unity in the church. We are called to protect or guard the unity that we already have, the unity that we have with one another through the Holy Spirit. Not sit around a campfire and eat s'mores and sing kumbaya. No, we are to have a unity that comes because we all have the Holy Spirit. We were all saved the same way. And because of that unity, thing that we have in common, we now have unity as a church. Let's look at that a little bit more closely, what Paul calls the unity of the Spirit. This phrase reminds us that the unity, the agreement, or the common ground within the church is not the product of our efforts to make unity. This agreement or this common ground is something that is produced in us by the Spirit of God. The word bond refers to a band or a cord which binds together. Peace, as Paul said it here, speaks of tranquility or harmony. 
So this band or cord that binds the church together in unity is peace. And when we are at peace with one another, we are then able to keep the unity of the Spirit. There is no greater testimony in the church than when we are united in Jesus in spite of our differences. By the same line of thinking, there is no greater slander against the cause of Christ than a church family in which the members are at odds with one another. Listen to what Jesus said, John 13, 35. He said, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. John 17, we see that Jesus was praying for his disciples. And as he's praying in verse 11, he says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Then on down in verses 20 through 23, he concludes, and he includes every believer who would ever live from that time forward. Read John 17, verses 20 through 23. My prayer is not for them alone, speaking of disciples. This prayer is not just for the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. We are a diverse bunch of people. And I, I, I look around and I, I can tell you we are different from one another in every way you can imagine. And I am so glad. I wouldn't want to have a whole congregation of me's. Physical differences, intellectual differences, socioeconomic differences, spiritual differences, and all of these things and more compete against the unity that we are expected to have. And yet, with our differences, there is common ground. When we came to Jesus, the Holy Spirit took up residence in our hearts, and as a result, we now have a common ground on which we stand united. And I know this is not a very evangelistic message this morning. But it's truth. And without unity, we cannot accomplish what God has called us to do as a church. All the evangelism in the world, all of the programs in the world, all of the preaching and Bible studies and outreach and everything else we do, we could hand out a million of those little cards that say you're invited. And if people come and they don't feel like we are united as one, it's just meaningless. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 and 13. The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though it's, all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into the body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we are all given one spirit to drink. We might be different in a lot of ways, but the Holy Spirit in us can cause us to move past our differences and walk together in unity for the glory of God. But when we are at war with one another, we have lost our testimony to the world. When we are not walking in unity, 
We are telling the world that we're no different than they are. But when we walk in the peace that we've been given through the Holy Spirit, we magnify the Lord. And we show the world that there really is something different about us. In verse 2, back in our text, Paul speaks about humility and gentleness, patience and loving tolerance. Every one of these spiritual characteristics flows out of genuine love for one another. Every one of them comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit within our hearts. We might look at some of those, those thoughts in greater detail at a later time. But for now, we need to know that God's will for his people is that we walk in unity, that God's will is that we are all pulling in the same direction for the glory of the very same God. Amen. Walking in unity does not mean that we will always have the same ideas about the same issues. We may have differences of opinion from time to time. That's both healthy and good. There needs to be a diversity of thought and not some kind of intellectual or spiritual dictatorship that controls what everybody in the church is allowed to think or believe. I was never called to be more than a pastor. I'm not going to tell you how to think. I'll tell you what the Word of God says. But I'm not going to follow you around and be a policeman. Walking in unity does not mean that we will always believe exactly the same about every single issue when Scripture is concerned. You see, we can disagree even on Scripture on certain parts. But we can just disagree on any of it and still love each other. It does not mean that we lose our individualism when we're saved. It does, however, mean that we are marked by a common purpose and that we are called and led by a common Savior. It does mean that when the Lord gives us His clear direction, we put aside our personal opinions and we walk together for the glory of God and for the good of the gospel. It does mean that for the unity of the church, that the unity of the church is more important than me getting my way or you getting yours. It does mean that the unity of the church will always come ahead of my personal agenda. It does mean that the unity of the church comes before my feelings. Nothing shows the world that we are different, that we're different from them than when we walk. Together in unity. When they see us at odds, we can, we can forget the gospel at that point. At that point, you're not going to reach them for Jesus if they see bickering and disunity. But when they see us walking in unity as it's manifested in true humility, gentleness toward one another, patient endurance for one another, loving tolerance in spite of our differences, it will do more than reach the world do more to reach the world than any outreach program that was ever devised by man. Our unity says that we're real. The world may reject our truth, but they can't get past our unity. The truth is we are all wrong at some point in our living, 
And if we're honest, we're all wrong at some point in our theology as well. But if we're right about Jesus Christ and the gospel, that is common ground from which we can operate together in unity. It's wrong for there to be division between you and me just because we disagree on some point of doctrine. It's wrong for us to allow our personal opinions and preferences to drive wedges between us. It is wrong for me to hold so sternly to my views and my rights that I damage the church of the living God. is that we are the people of God by the Holy Spirit. Seventeenth century, an archbishop by the name of Marco Antonio de Dominus wrote this. He said, In, in necessarius unitas, in dubius libertas, in omnibus caritas. Since I'm not remotely... roughly translate to English as in necessary things unity in certain things liberty in everything charity and that short phrase speaks volumes there are some truths that must be defended to the death even at the cost of unity and then there are some things that are open to interpretation and in those areas we are to give liberty to others and not judge them for their actions or beliefs. But in everything, whether we stand together or whether we must separate over our differences, every action is to be motivated by the love of Christ in us for the other person. Let me give you the David Goldsberry translation of that Latin phrase. There are some things that we must agree on. There are things that we can disagree on. And that's okay, but even when we disagree, it's never okay to be a jerk about it. <laughs> Unity. If you've been around any type of organization for any length of time, you've seen disunity. If you've been around church for any length of time, you've seen it too. As a church... I'm talking specifically about High Point Church. Looking back over the past several years, I can say that we as a church have seen our share of disunity over the past several years, almost to a point that several years ago this church almost disappeared. And one of the saddest parts of all of that was, without a doubt, there were people who were gleefully hoping that that would happen. And it didn't. I wasn't the pastor then, thank the Lord. But I can say as the pastor of this church now, I feel that most, probably all of that, has gone away. Unfortunately, when disunity comes along, there's often scars that are left behind of the turmoil that are still visible. If I am completely honest, I will tell you that there are times if I allow myself to dwell on what some people have done in the past, things from several years ago, I would walk around really angry 
But I cannot allow that to happen in my life. We cannot live in the past. We can learn from it. We can move forward. But if we dwell on it, it will eat away at us from the inside out, and eventually it will destroy us. There are some people who used to be here that are no longer with us. Because of the actions of some, sadly, there are folks who are not going to church anywhere. While in part it might be because of the things they saw, heard, or felt, ultimately that decision was theirs and theirs alone. Because of some of those who caused disunity, there were times when this church suffered financially. But I will echo the, Paul, the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9. We have been pressed on every side, but not crushed. Amen. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. I know that's true, and I know that God has provided for all of our needs, and then some. In fact, take a second and look around at what God has provided for High Point Church through the sacrificial giving of a unified group of believers. Amen. Persecuted, not abandoned. Struck down, not destroyed. He has never failed us, and I'll echo Solomon's word in Lamentations 3.23. Great is your faithfulness. There have also been some who along the way have suffered spiritually and emotionally, and yet I can stand here today and say, I'm still saved. How about you? If you can say yes, then know this, God is good. In spite of anything that's ever happened, God is good. If we are truly saved, the Holy Spirit lives in us, and if we allow him to fill us with his presence and power, he will bring us to a place of absolute unity of purpose for the glory of God. One thing I feel we have at High Point Church right now is unity, like we haven't seen in a long time, maybe in a lot of years. We don't always agree on everything, and we never will, and that's okay. Because we have learned that we can disagree and then move on to the next task at hand. And that's the way it has to be. For a growing, thriving church, we can't get stuck on the places where we disagree. We can't get stuck because somebody went against something that we didn't like. We have to move on and go to the next step because if we stop and take out our knives and go out at each other there, somebody's going to die. And sadly, that's been the end of a lot of churches. But when we as a church get to the place of unity and purpose that the Lord is leading us to, we will see the Lord do things around here that we could never even imagine. Each of us need to search our heart. Ask the Lord to forgive us for any part of disunity in the past that we might have been a part of. If in our prayer we realize that we have offended a fellow believer, we should strive to make it right. It goes even before, beyond that. Matthew 5, 23 and 24 says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, you're bringing your gift to the altar. 
And there you remember that your brother has something against you. You leave your gift there at the front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother and then come back and offer your gift. Above everything, unity. Unity beyond even offering that gift at the altar. Because if we don't have unity, then that doesn't matter. It means if we have been offended by a brother or sister, we need to let it go. Forgive those who have offended us. Well, I don't know if I can do that. Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? That should be good enough, right? Got to love Peter. How many times should I forgive him? Seven times ought to be enough. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And that doesn't mean when you get to 490, you can punch him in the face. <laughs> that was a number that he threw out there to mean you just keep forgiving. Luke 17, verses 1 through 5. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of those little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. I think what they really meant was, I don't know how we're going to do that. You're going to have to help us with that one, Jesus. And finally, look what Paul said in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And I'll close with this. Tonto and the Lone Ranger. We're riding through a canyon together. You didn't see that coming, did you? Let me go back. Tonto and the Lone Ranger, Lone Ranger were riding through a canyon together when all of a sudden both sides of the hills along the canyon were filled with Native American warriors on horses dressed for battle. The Lone Ranger turned to Tonto and asked, what are we going to do? And Tonto replied, What do you mean we, white man? <laughs> Unfortunately, that's just the way a lot of people in church think. I'm right there with you, Pastor. Well, until you do something I don't like. And then you're on your own. Even though we're all, there will always be those who think like that, it should never be that way. We cannot allow that type of attitude to prevail if we want to see God do what we say we want to see Him do at High Point Church. We're in this thing together. And there have been times, or there will be times, when all we have is the Lord and each other. There might not be an I in team. But there is both an I and a you in unity. 
There must be love. There must be peace. And there must be unity. My prayer is that God would help us to love one another, work together, and be patient and forgiving toward one another in order to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Above all else, unity. And as I said earlier, I realize this is not a real evangelistic sermon that would cause people to run to the altar. But I believe that this is, not believe, I know this is the word that God gave us for today. Back when I initially wrote this sermon in February, I obviously thought it was right for then, but it wasn't. So why now? Maybe it's what we need to hear now. God is doing amazing things at High Point Church. I see spiritual growth like I've never seen before, and I've been here for a long time. I see people stepping up into various places of ministry like I have never seen before, and I've been here for a long time. I see people working together, even in spite of differences from time to time more than I've ever seen before. That is unity. And when the devil sees that in a church, when the devil sees that among a group of believers, he will start working really hard. And the thing he will try to do is destroy the unity. We don't have to let him do that. You get mad at somebody, go ahead and get mad at him. And get over it. You get mad at me, go ahead and get mad at me and get over it. Because I promise you, when I get mad at you, I'm going to get over it. It happens, folks. There's going to be those times. If somebody comes to you and says, well, so-and-so said, I'm going to give you an example of, of what should follow that. If somebody comes to you and says, I heard this, or so-and-so said this, this is what I want you to do. Let's go talk to Pastor David. Okay? The reason I say that, thank you, Michael. I always pick on Michael because he sits right there. The reason I say that, because many times between here and the office door right there, those problems get resolved. Amazing. We must have unity. Doesn't mean we agree all the time. Doesn't mean you like the shirt I'm wearing. You don't like how I comb my hair. That's okay. I still love you. I might not like the shirt you're wearing. But I still love you. And we have to love one another. And if we will do that, you see, I think we've gotten past an awful lot of things as a church, and we've come such a long ways in the last couple years. But the one thing that the devil will always use to destroy a church is disunity.
strife. And we don't have to let it happen. If it happens, it's because we chose to let it happen. Let's choose to not let it happen. Let's choose unity among the body of Christ. Let's choose unity among High Point Church. And then watch what God will do. Watch what God will do. You would stand this morning. Here's something that I have found to be true. If we are praying for one another by name, it's hard to not be unified with that person. It's so hard to call out somebody's name in prayer. And then when you get done, have that little animosity in your heart. So pray for one another. Pray for your pastor. Pray that we'll be bonded together in a way that we've never been bonded together. If you're here today and you have never made a start to live for the Lord, you have never repented of your sins, this altar is open today. Someone will meet you here to pray. If you have never been baptized, we will set up a time for you to be baptized. You can be baptized here in the baptistry, or we can go somewhere else and baptize you if you'd like. But we'll baptize you. I want to see people so full of the Holy Spirit that the devil just doesn't have a chance when he comes in and tries to stir stuff up. And if we will stay full of the Holy Spirit, we won't have to worry about that nearly as much. As we sing this morning, if you need prayer, if you'd like to come pray, would you come? These altars are open.